Okay, our uh, clock is at zero. We could have your attention, please. And if you'd open in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 3, we're going to continue our study this morning in the book of Acts. Uh, we started chapter 3 last week. We'll continue in chapter 3 this morning. So if you would open to that passage uh, and prepare to study the Word of God together. Uh, one thing we wanted to mention to you uh, at the close of the second service this morning, we will say, be saying goodbye to Ann McCready. It's her last Sunday with us. She's being transferred out. So if you would like to write a little note, we have the plaque over here. We have the pen, pen or pens over here. And uh, you can write a little note to her if you won't be here at the end of the second service. So uh, just... Uh, and if you just want to sign your name, that's fine as well. Acts chapter 3, our study this morning. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are excited about the privilege to study your word. The privilege to see what you're doing in this world. To study the inception of the church, how you built your church, how you used the apostles to build your church. Lord, we ask you to guide us in our thinking, to help us to understand what it is that you have put into this section of scripture by your Holy Spirit that we need in our lives as the man born lame that we're studying in chapter 3 there are many needy people around us Lord peoples whose wounds are not as evident as the wounds and problems of this man but are serious nonetheless who need to hear about the one who can heal them eternally, the one who can give them eternal life, the one who can see them pass from death to life. Help us to be your witnesses as the early church witnessed. Help us to be your witnesses to the people around us today. Father, please help us to understand your word, guide us in its study. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. In Acts chapter 3, we have been studying about the man who was born crippled. We're told in the scripture that he was more than 40 years old, and for a good part of that time, he had people bring him every day to the temple so that he could beg for alms. And that's where we encountered him last week as we started to study Acts chapter 3. Peter and John were going up to the temple at about three in the afternoon, the time of the evening sacrifice. They were going up for prayer, and they encountered this man on the way. And we read in verse 4 that Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention. Why? Because he expected to get money from them. He didn't know that he was going to get something far greater than money that day. 
Then Peter says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. What Peter was saying is, you need something better than money. You think you're here, and you think that the best thing that can happen to you today is to get a few pennies in your pocket to leave with. Peter's saying, I want to tell you there's something greater that I want to offer you than silver or gold. What I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk, taking him by the right hand. Now I want you to notice, remember the writer of the book of Acts is whom? Luke. Luke was a, a wonderful historian, but he was also a physician. He was also a doctor. As you go through this book of Acts, as you read through it, as you study through it, take note of that because he often gives us details a little extra, like the, he took him by the right hand. See, he tells us a little bit more about his healing, a little bit more than other writers tell us. Now, what that says to me is that the man must have reached up, right? If he took him by his right hand, the man must have reached up. He's expecting money. But Peter grabs him by the hand and pulls him up, taking him by the right hand. He helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple's temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. What a difference! By the way, that's what happens when Jesus comes into a life. That's what happens when Jesus comes into a life. He changes that life. He changes. We're going to talk more about that in a moment. But I want you to notice that this healing was instantaneous. This healing was complete. The guy didn't get up gingerly and try a step and then try another step. And slowly but surely, he was able to move. And then he was able to run just like on the stage of the healers we see on TV, right? That's not the way it happened. You ever watch those guys and gals? You gingerly get out of your wheelchair and you gingerly take that first step. I don't think my leg will hold me. No, no, this guy was instantaneously healed and he was completely healed. In an instant, his feet and ankles became firm. He didn't get up gingerly. He didn't gingerly put weight on his feet slowly and hesitatingly take his first step, but instantly his feet and his ankles became strong and he jumped to his feet and began to walk. And not only did he walk, but he began to jump and sing the praises of God in the temple. So immediately, you know what Peter and John did. They set up a tent and began to have healing services, right? No, of course not. They rented a stadium or an auditorium. We got to get more people in on this. No. Didn't put up a tent, didn't rent a stadium or an auditorium. They didn't purchase TV time. Peter's going to preach a sermon, but before we get to his sermon, I want to talk a little bit about healing. Just, just uh, uh, make some brief comments about healing. 
And my source is somebody I mentioned to you last week. If you would really like to study this whole issue, if you'd really like to study the issue of healing, the issue of, for instance, speaking in tongues, uh, those kinds of things, miracles, if you'd like to study more, let me recommend to you a book by John MacArthur entitled Charismatic Chaos. Charismatic Chaos. It is an excellent study, and you will profit from it. So I'd like to recommend. By the way, I recommended a source to you last week, and I gave you the wrong website. Steve tried to look it up, and he said, I can't find the website you were talking about. I told you to look up Got Answers, www.gotanswers.com. That's not the one. It's www.gotquestions.com. <laughs> so I wanted to straighten that out. www.gotquestions.com. Dot com is an excellent is an excellent website. Well, MacArthur does a really good job of talking about the whole issue of healing. And I'd like to share some of what he said because I think it gets to the heart of it. He says this, does God heal? I believe he does. I believe he does. Our church believes that God heals. The difference is we believe that he heals in answer to prayer, not because of a healer. We don't believe in healers. We believe in healing, that God heals. MacArthur said that, says it this way, Does God heal? I believe he does. I do not automatically discount all claims of supernatural healings just, become some, just because some are false. But I am convinced that dramatic, miraculous, immediate Intervention by God is quite rare and never dependent on some supposedly gifted person who acts as an agent of healing. Genuine healings may come as a result of prayer and most often involve simple, natural processes. Other times, God speeds up the recovery mechanisms and restores the sick person to health in a way that medicine cannot explain. That's why sometimes you'll pray for somebody and they have a tumor and they, the doctor says, well, the tumor is this or that, and then they go another time and the tumor is gone. What happened to it? That kind of healing God does. He doesn't always do it. Please take note of that. He doesn't always choose to heal. But MacArthur says, sometimes he overrules a medical prognosis and allows someone to recover from, recover from a normally debilitating disease. Healings like that come in response to prayer and the sovereign will of God and can happen at any time. But the gift of healing, the ability to heal others, special anointings for healing ministry, healings that can be claimed, and other typical faith healing techniques have no biblical sanction in the post-apostolic era in which we live. That's a great statement, and that's where we are as a church as well. Well, then MacArthur goes on to talk about, okay, what were the characteristics of the healing we see in the New Testament? What were the characteristics of Jesus? How did he heal? Well, he, he mentions six things. First of all, Jesus healed with a word or a touch. Jesus healed with a word or a touch. Secondly, Jesus healed instantly. Jesus healed instantly. Thirdly, Jesus healed totally. Jesus healed totally. He didn't do partial 
healings. You get healed today, but you'll be getting healed in the coming weeks and day, months. He healed totally. Fourth, Jesus healed everyone. MacArthur says, unlike healers today, Jesus did not leave long lines of disappointed people who had to return home in their wheelchairs. He did not have healing services or programs that ended at a certain time because of airline or television schedules. At times he healed everyone who came to his door late into the night. He didn't turn them away and say, oh, folks, I'm just really tired. I've had a tough day. It's been a lot of stress. And then turn them away. He healed late into the night. Fifthly, Jesus healed organic disease. Sixth, Jesus raised the dead. Jesus raised the dead. That was the nature of Jesus' healings. And what I want you to notice, remember we said last week, that the reason for signs, the reason for wonders, the reason for miracles, the reason for healing in Jesus' life was to authenticate him as the Messiah because that's what the Old Testament said the Messiah would come and do. But as we see it through the apostles in the book of Acts, they were meant to authenticate the apostles and to connect them to Jesus Christ so that people would understand. And Peter will make this clear in our passage in chapter 3. Peter will make it clear that this healing wasn't done by his hand or by his power. It was done by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. So the apostles healed in the same way. They healed with a word or a touch. They healed instantly. They healed totally. They healed everyone. They healed organic disease. And they raised the dead. So that they were identified with Jesus and with his ministry and with his message. So that's, that's a little bit about healing. If you have a desire to know more, there's so much more than I can take time to share with you this morning. Uh, I, I highly recommend Charismatic Chaos. It would be a great place for you to go by John MacArthur and do some further study. Well, it tells us here in the Scripture that Peter healed him in the name of Jesus Christ, that's in verse 6, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. All throughout this scripture, in chapters 3 and 4 in particular, which cover this incident of healing and the aftermath of this incident of healing, the name of Jesus is used in chapter 3, verse 6 and 16, chapters 4, verse, chapter 4, verses 7, 10, 12, 17, 18, 30, 30, Three times in the book of Acts, the phrase, the name of Jesus is used. Now, why is that important? What does it mean when you say, in the name of Jesus? Well, in Semitic thought, a name, one writer explained this way, expresses the very nature of a person's being. Thus, the power of the person is present and available in the name of the person. 
what Peter is saying in the power of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. In the power of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. In Semitic thought, a name carried with it authority. A name carried with it reputation. A name carried with it power. It was much more than just identification as we often use the idea of the word name. In the authority of this person, Jesus Christ, in the power of this person, Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. There were two results of this healing. First of all, he jumped to his feet, verse 8, began to walk. He went with them in the temple's courts, walking and jumping and praising God. The first result is the man, the healed man, praises God and demonstrates the change in his life. He praises God and he demonstrates the change in his life. One writer made this point. The miracle of physical healing is rightly seen as an illustration of spiritual healing. The lame man serves as an excellent picture of the helplessness and hopelessness of the sinner whose only hope is believing in the name of Jesus Christ. When one believes in Him, then instantaneously there is complete salvation which brings joy to the sinner praise to God, and a testimony to others. The healing of this man born crippled is an evidence of the power of God to change a life. The power of God to change a life. And I agree with the writer that physical healing is seen as an illustration of spiritual healing. I want you to think about something. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 5. I'll start at verse 4. This is where Jesus does a healing. Verse 4 tells us, knowing their thoughts, he said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. Do you see, what Peter was offering was more than the ability to walk. He was offering freedom from sin. That's the point that Jesus was making. Why do we understand that? Because all sickness, all disease, all things such as lameness, and others like them all come about because, not of personal sin, but because we are all born into a world of sin. Now sometimes sickness and disease comes because of personal sin. That's what happens in 1 Corinthians 11 that Paul talks about in the Lord's Supper. But you and I don't always get sick or fatally ill because of personal sin in our lives, but all, all sickness, all disease 
is a result of sin in the world. And you and I are born sinners. We are born with a sin nature. So in a sense, Peter is going way beyond the physical. He's going to the spiritual, even as Jesus said, which is easier to say, rise up and walk or your sins are forgiven. Now here's the interesting part. A lot of times, you and I think, well, we don't have the power to heal. We can't go around and heal people and do spectacular things like that. All we can do is share the gospel with them. Think about what you just said. You and I have the power to change the eternal destiny of a life by sharing our faith with them, with the other person. Not everybody we see will have an obvious physical problem. But they will all have some issue going on in their lives, some wound that you and I can't see but is there. And you say, I can't, I can't do what Peter did. I can't tell the person to rise up and walk. You can do something better than that. I can do something better than that. And that is to tell a person that you can be forgiven for your sins. You can have the hope of eternal life. That is far greater than a physical healing. You and I don't believe that because we're so locked into a physical world, right? And the greatest thing that we can see in our physical world is somebody healed and it's great isn't it it is really great when god does that but he doesn't always do that but i got to tell you this when someone comes by faith to jesus christ they put their faith in him they put their faith in the god who sent his son to calvary's cross to die for their sins when they put their faith in him they will pass from death to life and i can guarantee that and they'll have eternal life they'll have eternal life. And remember, eternal life in the Scripture isn't just length of days. It's a quality of life that begins here and now, the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and it goes on into eternity. You and I have a greater power than physical healing. You don't believe me. I can see that by your faces. Either that, you're not convinced. You're not convinced. I hope you'll think about it. You and I have a greater power than the ability to physically heal somebody. And that power is to see them pass from death to life. To see them become a part of God's family. That's why it's so important that you and I witness. That's why you and I should not be intimidated by Acts chapter 3. Or what Peter did. Our power is as great. to see a life healed and changed. Well, the miracle of physical healing is rightly seen, this author says, as an illustration of physical healing. Uh, another writer, Warren Wiersbe, is the one who said it, talked about how this particular healing situation, this man, is an illustration of what salvation is life and, like. And I think he did a really good job of this let me share with you the points that he makes he says first of all this man was born lame unable to walk to please god you and i are all born 
spiritually lame, spiritually helpless, spiritually hopeless. Secondly, he was poor. You and I are all poor before God. We are bankrupt before God. We are unable to pay the debt that we owe God. Third way that this man is an illustration of salvation, he was outside the temple, separated from God, so to speak. All sinners are separated from God. Fourthly, he was healed wholly by the grace of God, and it was immediate. The moment a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, they are spiritually healed totally, instantaneously, immediately. You pass from death to life. You pass from death to life. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, not by works. So that no one can boast before God. He was born unable to walk to please God. He was bankrupt before God. He was outside, separated from God. He was healed wholly by the grace of God. And it was immediate, number five, he witnessed to what God had done for him by walking, jumping, and praising God. And lastly, number six, he publicly identified with the apostles. He publicly identified with the people of God. Well, the first result is the healed man praises God, walking and jumping. The second result is the response of the people. They are amazed at the changed life of the crippled man. Verses 9 and 10. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The first result is the man himself praises God walking and jumping. The, the, the second result was the response of the people, how they were amazed at a changed life. Do you want an apologetic argument that no one can answer? Would you like an apologetic argument? You know what apologetics is, right? The defense of the faith. Lots of books are written. We read them. We study them. I quote them in sermons. <laughs> About the defense of the faith. And we come up with all these reasons that Christianity is reasonable. All these reasons that God is alive and real. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's really good. That those are great studies. I bet many of you really enjoy those studies and have done one at least, if not many, in your time as a believer in Jesus Christ. But do you want an unanswerable apologetic argument? That unanswerable apologetic argument is your changed life. My changed life. That's an unanswerable argument. I have talked with people 
I have talked to them about the reasons that it's reasonable to believe in God. It's reasonable to believe that the Bible is reliable and it is faithful and it is the word of God. It is reasonable to put their faith in Christ. And they say, you know what? I agree with all that. I just don't want to do it. It's not enough. Well, the one, and and they can parry every argument you have, every argument you come up with for the existence of God, for, for the resurrection, for the deity of Christ. Every argument you come up with, they can parry. They can, they can bring some counter-argument to it, but they can't counter your changed life. They can't counter your changed life. Alistair McGrath, who I enjoy reading as one of my study sources, said this, Once more, we see how personal transformation is one of the most powerful and telling forms of witness to the gospel. Arguments about whether God exists or not tend to get bogged down very quickly. It is, however, difficult to argue with someone who wants to talk about the difference that Christianity has made to their lives. Perhaps Christians today can learn from this example. Maybe it's not Josh McDowell and evidence that demands a verdict that the people you and I talk to need most of all. Maybe they need to see in us a life unalterably committed to God. And maybe that will answer their objections. Now, you know and I know that it's ultimately a spiritual decision on their part, and they can reject even that. But they can't answer that. They can reject even that, but they can't answer that. Well, the people responded with wonder and amazement. We may not have the power to heal, one writer said, but we can follow Peter and John's example and give what we have to the hurting, wounded around us, a listening ear, a helping hand, love and concern. Another Devotional writer asks this question. Is your life a wonder to those around you? Is there anything about your lifestyle, the way you use your time, spend your money, treat your family, love your neighbors, that causes others to sit up and take notice? All God needs is one life to use as a showcase for His transforming power. So don't be intimidated by Acts 3, by the healing of this man. Don't say, I don't have that kind of resource available to me because you have something greater. And that is the ability to share the gospel with those around you.
the ability to see a life turn from sin to life, from death to life, from a wasted life to a fruitful life. That's, that's true power. That's true power. Well, so the next question that comes is this. How on earth do you follow up a healing like that? What do you do next? What do you do to follow up on a healing like we're seeing in Acts chapter 3? Well, by the way, if you would like to have an outline here, it's a basic outline. It's basically this. Verses 1 to 10 of chapter 3, we see the healing. Verses 11 to 26, we see the response by the apostles. So we see the healing in verses 1 to 10, which we've just finished, and we see the result, the answer by the apostles, where we have Peter's second message in Acts. The way you follow up a spectacular healing is to preach the Word of God, share the Word of God, proclaim the Gospel. That's the way you follow up a spectacular healing. That's exactly what Peter does. Notice chapter 3 and verse 11. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When people saw this, he said to himself, hmm, time for a sermon. No, I paraphrased it. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? And why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The crowd gathers at Solomon's colonnade. It was an opportunity for Peter to proclaim the gospel and do you notice that Peter refused to take any credit for this? By the way, we're not just seeing the transformation of a man born crippled. We're seeing the transformation of Peter. <laughs> Remember Peter? The one who said, Lord, I will never deny you if all these guys, these other ones, you know, the, you know what I'm talking about. You can't count on them, but Lord, man. I'm the man. You can count on me. Could he count on Peter? No. Peter denied him three times, bitterly went out and wept. When Jesus looked at him at the third time, he denied. Well, Peter wouldn't believe that Jesus was risen from the dead, as the other apostles would not believe. Jesus was risen from the dead till they were convinced by 10 meetings with Jesus over 40 days and here we see him just 50 days after the crucifixion and resurrection of his Lord just 50 days later he is one powerful preacher one powerful witness for God. So we're not only seeing the transformation of the 
man born lame, but we're seeing the transformation of Peter and the other apostles as well. Verses 13, 14, and 15, the God of Abraham, Peter says, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Peter is changed. Peter is changed. By the way, I want you to notice a couple of things here. Jesus is called God's servant. Now, if you know your Old Testament, where is the Messiah called the servant of God? The book of Isaiah. The servant songs in the book of Isaiah, that passage we all love so much, about God's servant, Isaiah 12 and 13. Among others, 42, 1, 49, 6 and 7, 52, 13, 53, 11. All speak, Isaiah speaks of the Messiah as God's servant. So what Peter is basically doing is saying, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's the Messiah that Isaiah talked about. You handed him over. It's the same word used in the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, translated in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 12. One of the servant passages there are three servants excuse me three titles of jesus in this passage of scripture in peter's message his servant jesus the messianic title used by isaiah the holy and righteous one also sometimes used as a messianic title and the author of life the author of life Peter talks about three contrasts here. Three contrasts in verses 13, 14, and 15. He lays at the feet of the Jews, you demanded Christ's death when Pilate had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and demanded that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life but God raised him from the dead. What a contrast. What a charge against these people. Jesus, the author of life, is the first one who had life. Peter is referring to Jesus, as one writer said, as the first human being ever to be resurrected, not just restored to physical life, but raised to a higher level of life. Well, in this message of Peter, he mentions in verse 13 the humanity of Jesus Christ. 
He mentions in verses 13 and 14 the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He mentions in verse 15 the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now in verses 3, verses 21 to 26, he's going to talk about how Jesus fulfills Old Testament prophecies. And in verses uh, 19 and 26 of chapter 3, he's going to talk about the need to respond to these truths. One writer said, the healed man stood by a powerful witness to the truth of Peter's words. For it was by the power of the name of Jesus that he had been cured, and his cure was a patent messianic sign. For they could remember how Isaiah had prophesied of the messianic age. Then shall the lame leap like a deer. Like a deer. Well, I want you to look at verse 19, what Peter calls them to do. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Peter calls them to repent. Peter calls them to change their minds. That's what repentance means. Charles Ryrie said these Jews were asked to change their minds about Jesus and change their way of life by turning to the Lord. That's what repentance means. The Greek word metanoia, metanoeo, has the idea of change mind, reverse direction. Reverse your outlook. Peter said, you're part of the nation that rejected the Messiah to these people. You're part of the nation that saw him crucified. He's calling them, as one writer said, to reverse their verdict about Jesus. They disowned him. They demanded his death. They killed him. Peter calls them to reverse their verdict about Jesus. That's what it means to repent. To reverse your direction. To change your mind. He's calling the Jews present that day to change their minds about who Jesus was. To recognize that he is the Messiah. The Messiah. And they rejected him. One writer said, Repentance is much more than feeling sorry for your sins. False sorrow for sin could be mere regret. I'm sorry I got caught. Or remorse. I feel terrible. And such feelings have a tendency to pass away. Repentance is not the same as doing penance as though we have to make a special sacrifice to God to prove that we are sincere. True repentance is admitting that what God says is true and because it is true to change our mind about our sins and about the Savior. That's what Peter's calling them to do. He does that in verse 19. He does that after quoting Moses and quoting Samuel and quoting Abraham in verse 26, he says, When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you 
by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Peter starts with the humanity of Christ, talks about his deity, talks about his resurrection, and then calls people to repent. Paul calls people to change their minds about whom Jesus is. You and I have tremendous power available to us in our lives as we encounter those who like the man born lame. was hopeless and helpless. You and I encounter every day people who are hopeless and helpless and in the grip of sin and need to hear about the one who can free them and heal them. And they need to change their minds about him. Peter and John were witnesses. The early apostles were witnesses. The early church was witnesses. How about us today? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the healing of this man. Help us not to forget that he was a real human being with real needs, not just words on a page. And help us not to forget that we encounter every day real human beings with real needs. And help us to share with those around us the only one who could heal those spiritual needs in their, their lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.